I want to begin by telling you all a story about a kid who was, uh, grew up in Philadelphia. In fact, he was actually born and raised, spent a good part of his childhood in West Philadelphia. Now, like most kids, he enjoyed playing with his friends, just hanging out, having a good time. It wasn't uncommon either to find this kid outside playing basketball just around his school. And so uh, he would spend a lot of time there, but unfortunately, not everybody who spent time at the basketball courts had the best intention. While most people were looking to have a good time, some guys were just looking to cause trouble. There was a group of guys who were up to no good, and they started picking on this particular kid, and it turned into a little bit of a scuffle. Now, unfortunately, or of, of course I should say, his mom was not happy that he got into a fight. West Philly being somewhat of a rough neighborhood, she was concerned about her son's safety. And so in an effort to protect her son and just make sure that he was staying out of trouble, she decided to send him to live with his wealthy aunt and uncle in California. How many of you are starting to pick up with where this is going? For those of you who have no idea what I'm talking about, let me tell you the story, the same story in a different way. In West Philadelphia, born and raised on the playground where I spent most of my days chilling out, maxing, relaxing, all cool and all, shooting some b-ball outside of the school when a couple of guys who were up to no good started making trouble in my neighborhood. I got in one little fight. My mom got scared. She said, you're moving with your auntie and uncle to Bel Air. Oh. Thank you. <laughs> Now, how many of you know what I'm talking about, right? Will Smith's character in The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, the popular 90s television show. If you still have no idea what I'm talking about, one, shame on you. Two, you need to go home and watch reruns of The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Now, this TV show is all about Will Smith's life as he moved from the inner city of West Philadelphia to live with his wealthy aunt and uncle in Bel Air. And because of this drastic change of environment, of course, he experienced some culture shock, right? He went from one inner city environment to living now in an upper class area. And so as a result... Will didn't always fit in, but that doesn't bother him. In fact, throughout the show, he does a bunch of different things to preserve his differences, to preserve his differences. In Scripture, there's also a story of someone who preserved his differences. I want you to turn in your Bibles or navigate on your Bible app to Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1. You may be familiar with the story of Daniel. Uh, our kids and we were just reading the story, uh, the, some of the stories about Daniel in their children's Bible to them just the other night. So you may have heard some of the stories we'll even be referencing this morning. But I wanted to remind you of a few key elements and perhaps take a look at some nuance that maybe you haven't picked up on before. You see, Daniel was an exile. Around 605 B.C., King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians conquered Jerusalem and, and captured many people from Judah. And they were taken as captives back to Babylon. And as was their custom, the Babylonians forced their captives to become like them, to assimilate into their culture and customs. 
And we see an example of that in Daniel chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Allow me to read these verses for us. It says, The king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of the court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. And they were to be trained for three years. And after that, they were to enter the king's service. Now, Daniel was among those who were going to be trained to enter into the king's service. He was, he was among those who were going to be forced to become like the Babylonians. However... Daniel was also committed to preserving his differences. Let's jump down to verse 8 and check out what it says. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now you might be wondering, well, how would eating food and wine from the king's table defile Daniel? What is going on here? Well, it's very likely that a portion of this food and drink that would have been offered to the exiles would have also been sacrificed to idols, thus prohibiting Jews from partaking of that food. It was also likely that those who were preparing the food weren't paying attention or had no concern for the Jewish dietary laws, which would have also made the food unclean. Now, of course, it would have been way easier for Daniel to go with the flow and comply with the new rules and regulations of his home. And in some ways, Daniel did comply. He learned the language of the Babylonians. He learned their literature, their history, their culture. Because certainly Daniel knew to resist the king's rules and regulations could mean persecution and death. But Daniel also knew the importance of preserving his differences, especially when those differences dealt with or, or came about because of his religious beliefs and practices. And so his relationship to God and his desire to live in obedience to him was more important than anything else in Daniel's life. And so even though he was an exile in a foreign nation and was expected to become like everyone else, he took steps to preserve his differences, the aspects of his life that were most important. And believe it or not, Daniel's situation is much like ours today. And I realize that none of us have been taken by force or against our will to a foreign nation However, the Bible refers to us, followers of Jesus, as exiles, meaning this world, this earth, our country, is not our home. Therefore, like Daniel, we're living in a culture, we're living in a society that shouldn't define who we are, that shouldn't define how we live our lives. And because of our status as exiles, as strangers, as foreigners in this world, our lives 
ought to look different. We need to take the necessary steps to preserve those differences, even when it could result in some form of persecution. Let's pick the story back up in verses 12 through 16. I want to read these verses for us to see how things play out. This is Daniel speaking at first. He says, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to do this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. And so the guard took away their choice food and wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. Thankfully for Daniel, this particular scenario could not have played out any better, aside from the fact that he was in exile and didn't want to be there in the first place. This scenario could not have played out any better. You see, there was certainly risk involved. No one disobeyed the king because they knew what the result would be, persecution or death. You never would ask to disobey or have a law of the king not apply to you, not if you wanted to continue on living. But that didn't keep Daniel from preserving his differences. And as a result, God was honored. How could he not be? Daniel lived in obedience to him. And not only was God honored, there was a little bit of a bonus. Daniel continued to receive the favor of the official in charge over him. It ended up being sort of a win-win situation. Now, perhaps as we've been going through this series, you've, you've felt called or you felt inspired to live out some aspect of your identity in Christ, some aspect of the differences that you have, you ought to have, because you have this relationship with Jesus. And maybe you've even tried to live out some of the things that make us different, even though you, you know it could come at a cost to you. Now, the reality is I don't know everyone's story. I don't know what you have been doing or what you haven't been doing. I don't know how any of your stories have played out. But I'm willing to bet that some of you have an experience that's similar to Daniel's. You knew that preserving your differences would be risky, but you took that step anyway. And as a result of your obedience, God was honored. And... You got to experience what Paul writes about in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, which says, and it's going to be on the screen behind me, now to him who was able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. You see, despite what you thought was going to happen when you stepped into that obedience, despite the risk, despite what you thought was going to happen in that particular scenario, you came out on the other side and experienced the immeasurably more, something beyond what you could have even asked God for or imagined. And it was God honoring you for your obedience to him. The immeasurably more that only God can provide. Now, of course, 
There are going to be times when we make an effort to preserve our differences. And the response from others will not be as favorable. And Daniel experienced that as well. I invite you to flip over a couple of chapters to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. Now, by this point in the book, Daniel had proven his value over and over again to multiple kings in Babylon. He, he had shown his wisdom, and God was giving him success. And so all of these kings loved Daniel, so much so that they were giving him positions of authority within the government. And this was also true of King Darius, who came to power at the end of chapter 5. Now, King Darius was so impressed with Daniel that he had decided that he, uh, to make this plan or to go forth with this plan to put Daniel in charge of his entire kingdom. But there was a bunch of other uh, officials or counterparts to Daniel, even co-workers, if you will, who were going to be under Daniel's rule. And they didn't really like where this plan was going because they thought, this guy's in exile. Why should he be in charge over us? There's no way this should happen. And so they began looking for ways to concoct some kind of plan or find corruption in Daniel that was going to uh, disqualify him from this leadership position. And so they began searching. They went on this witch hunt, if you will. But they were not able to find any corruption because Daniel was trustworthy. He was reliable. And he was honoring God in everything that he did. But throughout this witch hunt, what they did find is that there was something different about Daniel. And so this group of people who were going after Daniel and trying to attack him finally came to this conclusion. And we see their conclusion in chapter five, or excuse me, chapter six, verse five. And they say, "We will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do." with the law of his God. In other words, we won't be able to take him out unless we attack what makes him different. We won't be able to take him out unless we attack what makes him different. You see, this is something that you and I need to remember for right here, right now. The reality is if there are people who don't like us because of what we believe or the stances that we have, they are going to come after us for our differences. And you need to be ready for that. And so these guys who were jealous of Daniel, they came up with this plan that would force Daniel to make a decision to fall in line with their culture their society, or to preserve his differences. He was forced to make a choice. And so this plan they came up with is they got King Darius to state or put into law that everyone for the next 30 days would have to pray to King Darius and to him alone. And anybody who disobeyed this law would be thrown into the lion's den. Perhaps you've been put into a similar situation as well. You've been forced to make a decision. Will I become like everyone else and do what I know is wrong? Or will I live up to my status as an exile, as a follower of Jesus, and preserve my differences? 
Check out what Daniel does in chapter uh, 6, verse 10. It says, Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. I love that. Just as he had done before. Without hesitation, Daniel continues to preserve his differences. Despite the work of others to force him to abandon his faith and become like everybody else, he continues to pursue God and live in obedience to him, even though it could cost him everything. Let's hit pause on the story right there because I want you to ask yourself a question. What would my response be? How would I respond to that situation? I'm forced to make a decision. What am I going to do? Or maybe the better way to ask that question is what will my response be? Because the reality is you will be put in that situation at some point. If you're truly living to honor Christ and you're doing things that are going to make you different, you will find yourself in that scenario. And so, what will your response be? And I realize we may never find ourselves in that exact scenario, facing a decision that could lead us to being thrown into a den of lions. Yet because we are exiles, living in a place that is not our home, there will be countless times when we must choose between Christ or conformity. Christ or conformity, honesty or deceit, faithfulness or flakiness, boldness or cowardice, generosity or stinginess, love or hate, compassion or apathy. And we will have to make a decision. You see, our world is in desperate need of exiles who are willing to be different who are willing to be salt and light, who are willing to live out their calling and make a difference even if it's going to cost them something. In the following verses, we learn that Daniel's decision to preserve his differences does cost him something. Those who were eager for him to conform and abandon his faith went looking for him, and they found him praying just like they thought they would. And thus, he broke the law. And so Daniel was thrown into the den of lions due to his differences. Now, in the end, God saved Daniel from the lions. But how Daniel's counterparts, his co-workers, the other officials, how they responded to his differences was less than ideal. And it was certainly different than the response that the official had in chapter 1 to Daniel's differences, the official that showed favor to Daniel. But despite the less than favorable response from those who are jealous of him, here's the lesson that you and I need to understand. How others respond to our differences isn't as important as us, the honor that we show to God when we strive to live out our differences, to preserve the differences that come as a result of our relationship with him. How others respond to us 
the negative reactions people have, the persecution, the judgment, the name-calling, all of the stuff that might come toward us. None of that is important. It's the honor that we show to God as we preserve our differences that come as a result of our relationship with him. You see, in other words, whether favor or persecution comes, our primary calling is to preserve our differences for the glory of God. And it doesn't matter what culture expects us to do or society wants us to do. We're called to be different because that is what brings glory and honor to God. And so what are the differences that God is calling you to preserve? For the past four weeks, we've been in this series called Exiles, and we've been highlighting various aspects of verse Peter. And each week, Pastor Chris has discussed what our differences should look like or ought to look like. And he talked about showing extravagant or performing extravagant acts of kindness, over-the-top generosity, giving the benefit of the doubt, and service over self. And maybe God has been highlighting one of these specific things for you to work on. And if not, that's all right too, because I'm going to give you a few more to consider today. As we close this series, I want to look at a verse in 1 Peter chapter 3. I'd invite you to turn there. 1 Peter chapter 3, and we're going to add to our list of what makes us different. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 15 says this, But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. From this verse, the first difference we're called to preserve is the devotion of our heart. Peter writes, in your heart set apart Christ as Lord, meaning, meaning make Jesus the boss. Make Jesus the king of your heart. He ought to be the top priority. And of course, a heart that is devoted to Jesus is not found in those who don't yet have a relationship with him. For so many people, their heart is devoted to comfort or wealth or success or family or accomplishments or their work or even becoming like culture. But we are called to be different. And if Jesus is Lord of our lives, that means my comfort and my wealth, my success, my family, my accomplishments, everything must take a back seat. For the original recipients of Peter's letter, making Jesus Lord must, uh, meant that their safety and their, their comfort couldn't be top priority. It also meant that having a good reputation or, or being seen in a positive light probably wasn't going to happen. As Pastor Chris reminded us last week, we may not live in a time where we'll face the same kind of persecution as those in the early church, at least not in this country. But if Jesus is truly Lord of your life, then we will sacrifice something to follow him and preserve our differences. And if that were not the case, then Jesus would have had no reason to tell us to count the cost of following him just like he did in Luke chapter 14. And so perhaps the difference 
that God is calling you to preserve is the devotion of your heart. The second difference from verse 15 that we're called to preserve is the reason for our hope. Peter writes, as all, or always, be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. As Christians, the source of our hope is found in Jesus. And scripture makes that clear. I want to read a few verses for us. Psalm 62, verses 1 and 2 and verse 5 says, My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from him. Colossians 1.27 says, To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. 1 Timothy 6, verse 17 says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. Of course, those who don't yet have a relationship with Jesus derive their hope from some other source, whatever that may be. But one of the things that makes us different is that our hope is found in Christ alone. And God is calling us to preserve our difference by telling others the source of that hope. The third difference that we're called to preserve is our method of communication. When sharing the reason for our hope, Peter says, but do this with gentleness and respect. Now you and I understand that politics and religion are taboo topics, especially in the workplace, because whenever those topics arise, it seems to be done with a lack of respect and a lack of gentleness. All you have to do is watch the news or check out a debate during election season to, to get a taste of what that looks like. A lack of respect, a lack of gentleness when sharing our opinion, our ideas, our thoughts, especially with those who disagree with us. But as Christ followers, we're called to share the reason for the hope that we have. And so while it may be a taboo topic, we don't get to make the decision to say, hey, I'm not going to talk about that and put that aside. We don't get to do that. But Peter's words remind us that how we share the reason for our hope is almost as important as the reason itself. You see, some of us have no problem standing up for our beliefs and saying, this is who I am as a Christian. I'm a follower of Christ. And we do that with boldness and conviction. And we leave that conversation. And the other person is like, they're a jerk. And I never want to be like them. And so while I can applaud you on the boldness, you gotta, you got to rein that in a little bit. You have to figure out a way, and not stop sharing. Don't hear me say that. Not stop sharing. But you have to figure out how to do that with gentleness and respect. Even when people disagree with you. Even when they don't like what you have to say. I'd go far, so far as to say if, if gentleness and respect 
aren't characteristics of your communication, especially when it comes to sharing the hope that you have, please don't. Just don't. Until you can figure that out, you're not going to do anything to expand God's kingdom because all you're doing is driving a wedge between us and those we're called to reach. And so perhaps the difference that God is calling you to preserve is your method, or excuse me, yeah, preserve is your method of communication. Devon Franklin was one of the speakers at the Global Leadership Summit. We hosted that leadership conference a few weeks ago here at LifePoint. And he spoke on the topic of difference, which he defined as a way in which people are things are not the same. And as exiles, we're called to be different. We are not the same as those. We're not to be the same as those around us. And as you and I strive to live out our calling, I want to share some of Devon's thoughts with you in hopes that it will encourage you to keep going and fulfill the calling that Christ has given to us. Devon says, difference is painful. It's hard to stand out. Too often we think we have to compromise in order to open the door to get to where we want to be. However, our difference may be the key to unlocking the door. Don't exchange what makes you different for what makes you common. Keep your edges sharp. Difference is powerful. And your difference makes a difference. See, Christ's call on our lives to be different, it's never going to be easy to live that out. In fact, it might even be painful. But if we're serious about fulfilling our calling to reach people with the good news of Jesus, then our differences that come as a result of our relationship with him may be the most effective tools that you and I have to reach those who are not like us. Cultural conformity will never accomplish the Great Commission. However, our Christ-like differences can be the key to unlocking the door. And so as exiles, this is who we are. This is our identity. We need to embrace that as exiles, as strangers, as foreigners in this world. Keep your edges Sharp, because your difference makes a difference.